You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. John DeYard, and welcome to the Life Spa podcast. And today we have a really special guest, an expert in biofield research. Her name is Dr. Shamini Jane. She's a PhD. She's a psychologist, scientist, a social entrepreneur. She's the founder and CEO of the Conscious and Healing Initiative, CHI, which is a collaborative accelerator that connects scientists, health practitioners, educators, and artists to help lead humanity to heal ourselves. Her pioneering research in meditation, biofield healing, and psychoneuroimmunology has been featured in Time Magazine, USA News and World Report, and CNN. Um, Dr. Jane, Shamini, so great to have you. Uh, I think, as I was just saying, our audience is all about you know, ancient medical wisdom from Ayurveda and modern science. And I think that uh, you are going to be able to shed a lot of light on to the subtle. You know, I always say Ayurveda, one of the best things about Ayurveda is that the more subtle it is, the more powerful it is. And somehow they knew that thousands of years ago. So why don't we start, maybe you just telling me, uh, telling us a little bit about you know, first, what are biofields and maybe dive into the research that you're super excited about now. I'm sure you've got something like on the tip of your tongue and you're working on that you're super excited about. I'd love for you to share that with us. Oh, you bet, John. And thank you so much for having me. Well, first of all, what I'd like to say is I'm so excited that more and more people are learning about this term biofield. But for some people, it's still relatively new. And I like to describe it sometimes as a new term by Western scientists to describe some things that we've known for a very, very long time. And what's neat about biofields is that we actually look at it at different levels of scale. It's almost biofields, plural, versus biofield. Because essentially what we're looking at is energy and information that guides our health. And we can look at it on the cellular level, that is looking at biofields of cells. And I can tell you about some of the great research going on there. We can also look at the biofields of people, including how you and I connect. We can even look at the biofields of the earth and the human earth connection. And to me, what's so exciting about biofields is when we study biofields, and we can talk about many different ways we're doing that, whether we're studying it more on the subtle level, like looking at healing therapies, like the modern ones, therapeutic touch, healing touch, pranic healing, and so many, qigong, tai chi, all of these you know, energy therapies, which our scientific colleagues are calling biofield therapies. Whether we look at it from that lens or we look at it even when we're looking at the cellular level of what's happening when we work with the biofields of cells, it's really telling us a very beautiful story about our inner connection. And this is kind of what I've seen throughout my time as a scientist that we're moving from these models of disconnection to interconnection. And so by studying the fields of energy and information, we're able to better understand how we heal ourselves and how we heal each other, how our minds and bodies, emotions and energy are all part of an interconnected system that helps us reconnect with our spirit, which I would suggest is where most of the healing is really happening but also how we're connected with each other, even across space. So you mentioned what, you know, what are some of the exciting things that you're up to? And I'm kind of a walking encyclopedia with the work of the biofield because I've been studying it for so long and we support so many researchers to get together in community to talk about their work. So I can share some of my own work and some of my colleagues. And I actually summarized a lot of this in my new book with Sounds True Publications, which is called Healing Ourselves, Biofield Science in the Future of Health. I'm happy to say it's in its second printing. It was released in September. And, you know, for anyone who's really interested in the deep dive and kind of the real there there behind the science, I provide all that. I think it has over 700 scientific references. But, you know, talking about the biofield, I'm a clinician. I'm a clinical psychologist as well as a researcher in psychoneuroimmunology. And so for me, the payoff here is to study these approaches and see what can they offer, you know, in addition to and potentially beyond what we're already offering for patients to reduce things like pain, anxiety, help reduce or prevent chronic disease, you know, all of these ailments that are we're really suffering from. And during the pandemic, we actually conducted a study on distant sound healing 
for anxiety during the pandemic. This is when everybody was, you know, in shutdown mode, they couldn't get out, they couldn't see their providers, they couldn't even see their friends or their families. And so as you can imagine, anxiety ramped up even more than it already is. I mean, I think it's at least one in four people already were, you know, the statistics show that at least one in four people are suffering from significant anxiety. During the pandemic, we saw that go up. Well, the long and short of it, we did a feasibility study looking at this, and we're now powering, hopefully, for a randomized controlled trial in this, is that we saw profound decreases with this biofield-based, distant, distantly practiced sound healing therapy to reduce anxiety. And this wasn't just in their self-report using our tried and true, you know, validated measures of anxiety that people use when you go into the clinic, right? People drop to below threshold levels of clinical levels of anxiety. But when we even did things like capture their spoken words, we had them actually talk about their day over the period of weeks, we noticed a significant decrease in their use of what we called negative affect language or literally the negative emotions that were coming through in their speech. It was really profound. And we noticed other things too, when we looked at their, you know, literally what they were saying about receiving the therapy. And it was that their relationship with the anxiety changed. So we've studied a lot of meditation. It's such a beautiful practice. So many beautiful practices within meditation, as you know, part of Ayurveda, really. The relationship with anxiety changed for these people that were receiving the healing. So they weren't necessarily practicing mindfulness, which I have studied as well, but they were able to come into more of an observer state with it. And interestingly, they noticed shifts in their relationship and other things because I think what we're finding with these kinds of approaches, you know, which are working on the subtle level, no doubt, is that they're really affecting the whole person. And certainly we see this in Ayurveda, right? This is, you know, in our world now in integrative health and medicine and the academic consortiums for integrative health and medicine, we're going back to describing this as whole person medicine or whole person health, because we know that when we begin to heal on any level, we're affecting the whole system. If we're taking an herb, we're affecting the whole system. If we're working with energy, we're affecting the whole system. We're affecting our relationships, our minds, our emotions, um, you know, and even our cognitive function. And so we're even seeing this with energy therapies. It's not just limited to, you know, our felt sense of energy where we see the improvements. So going back to that study, so explain to me how exactly that happened. Did they, did they meditate? Did they pray? How did, you, how did the distance healing work? Yeah, in this particular case, we used an approach that has been forwarded by a sound healing practitioner and teacher. Her name is Eileen McCusick, and she's actually written a couple of books on her approach too, including Tuning the Human Biofield. So we've been working with Eileen as a research collaborator um, for a couple of years now, and we were going to do this research with PTSD. Then the pandemic happened, and we realized we weren't going to be able to do an in-person study. And, you know, we began to sit with where is the suffering right now? So they did, I said, Eileen, I know that you and your practitioners aren't sitting on your hands right now during the pandemic, not seeing people, you know, how are you doing it? She said, well, we are working at a distance. I said, well, how does that work? She said, well, we'll call them and we tune in. So what they do is they actually use a tuning fork and they tune into the person's energy field using that tuning fork. And Eileen has developed her own system where after decades of, you know, exploration, what she's done is discovered that when she feels a perturbation in the field, which she and other adept practitioners can feel at a distance, she's noticed that there are certain patterns in the field around the body that can be related to particular traumas. You can call them traumas or just stuck points of energy. She may just call it where the sound is stuck. And so they go through this sort of interactive process with the person to say, you know, I'm noticing a perturbation here around your left ankle, for example. And, you know, because they have a particular map that they use, they say, you know, according to what I'm getting a sense of this, did something happen to you, you know, at the age of 12? So they may ask those types of questions. So it's sort of an interactive therapeutic encounter with so this. So this, this, this is a, this is a Zoom thing where she hits yeah, the tuning fork and we're looking at the person and then she's using different tuning forks for different frequencies that affect different parts of the body. Is that what's going on or how does like that work? That. Yeah, and what we did is we actually wanted to minimize the variance a little bit of like the interactions between people looking at each other. So we actually just had them connect on a HIPAA compliant Zoom, right? So 
Um, they right. were basically lying down so they could hear the practitioner and the practitioner could hear them, but they weren't looking at each other. It wasn't like a counseling yeah. type situation. And the way they work with these forks is not necessarily different frequencies for different parts of the body, but just using a particular fork to tune into the person's biofield. And literally right. they can feel and hear the stuckness that might be there in a particular area. Once they feel or hear the stuckness, you know, most practitioners will hear it, but some also feel it literally as a visceral sort of response. They will right. begin to ask, did something happen? Then they will work with the fork to, cle to clear it. They do a process that they call columning and combing, which Eileen describes in her book. So that's just one, you know, one study that we've embarked on recently. But prior to that, I was also running a lot of randomized controlled trials for patients, um, looking at different types of healing approaches, biofield healing approaches for things like cancer-related fatigue, post-traumatic symptom disorder in active duty combat, combat um, you know, soldiers, both men and women. And you know, we can run through some of those studies. One of the things that we often get asked about is, well, isn't biofield healing just a placebo? And I love placebo. I talk about placebo a lot in my book, and I actually think we've got it all wrong. If you're interested, John, we can have a lively discussion about placebo because what we know is that we see placebo, so-called placebo effects in surgery, and actually in surgery, we see placebo, robust placebo effects in surgery, as well as with um, medications like antidepressants. For example, with depression, there's fantastic work you may be aware of that was done decades ago with our colleagues at Harvard. Mm -hmm right, in that area. We see it with integrative health approaches, including acupuncture, there's a placebo effect. We, in short, see placebo effects with everything. And so I think we actually have, we it's have like, to frame the whole once thing. Once you said it was like 30, 32 to 82% effective, sometimes more effective than the actual drug itself. So I totally agree. Why not harness that if it's so effective? You know, I mean, all the, uh, an antidepressant drug has to do is beat the the placebo in a controlled trial in one out of in in one trial where five of them the placebo could actually outperform the drug and the drug still gets approved so it doesn't make any sense that we don't try to understand and replicate the placebo i'm all in i'd love to know how to do that to tell us how well I, i'll tell you actually i so i have yeah. a whole framework for this i call placebo equals heal holistic elements that activate life force. Now, life force is a provocative term. You know, not everybody believes in life force. Maybe your listeners do because they're very steeped in Ayurveda. But we can say that there are fundamental healing elements that we have uncovered through science that tell us about how placebo works. Okay, so let's just go through those really quick because it turns out that we can up-level our healing by working with these natural healing elements, these holistic elements that activate healing. What are they? expectation. That is my conscious expectation, my conscious mind telling me that if I engage in this Ayurvedic encounter, it's going to help me. Or if I receive this antidepressant, it's going to help me, right? That's just our conscious mind. Then there's conditioning, which speaks to both conscious and unconscious processes, which is essentially a learning process. So what does that look like? Let's say I got a massage once. And when I got a massage, my body just totally relaxed. My sympathetic nervous system sort of came down a little bit, but my parasympathetic nervous system activated and I went into a relaxation response. The chances are the next time I get on that massage table, my body mind is already going to relax because it is conditioned to do so. That's conditioning, it's a learned response. There are also other aspects of placebo that we can use for our own healing, including relationship. Relationship is such a huge driver of healing effects. There have been studies showing that doctors who are just simply friendly to their patient versus just being neutral or even maybe a little bit unfriendly will actually influence the length of a common cold in their patients. So these are controlled trials by David Raquel and others um, that have been done now, you know, over decades. Relationship is a huge driver. So having, being with a provider that believes in you, believing in yourself, and also being in supportive relationship can really augment the healing process. And then there's ritual. We see rituals in every therapeutic encounter, whether you're going to a psychologist, an MD, you know, when we go to the clinic, usually what happens, we check in with a receptionist, 
they give us some paperwork, we fill it out. If we're in the medical system, we probably are going to go see a nurse practitioner. They're going to take our weight or, you know, take our blood pressure. Then the doctor's going to come in with a white coat. Well, that's a ritual, right? It's a different kind of ritual than if you go see a shamanic healer, but it's setting the body mind so that it opens to a particular possibility and expectation for healing. Now, in the ancient traditions, rituals were created to ready the body mind to open to spirit for a full healing response. Spirit was understood to be part of the healing process. Whether we define spirit as our higher self, our soul, guidance, other guides, ancestors, right? Many different cultures describe this differently. But if we take all of those elements of placebo and we utilize them in our own healing ritual, and I give advice on how to do this, the third part of my book is actually very practical. It's called The Healing Keys. And part of what I talk about is how to set your own powerful healing ritual and set your intention for healing. So we can do this by creating a particular space in our house, right? Even the corner of our room that's really set for our healing ritual. And then we begin to sound invocations, get very clear on our healing desires, open our hearts to connection with the deeper aspects of ourselves that also potentially support and spiritual guidance and open to surrender. There's a whole process that we can use that actually takes the best of what we know about placebo, ritual, relationship, expectation, conditioning. And what I love about it is when we reframe placebo in this way, it's helping us recognize that the healer is us, right? We are our own best healers. And by the way, when I talk to energy healing practitioners, they say the same thing. They say the exact same thing. I've talked with healing practitioners now from so many different traditions, and they may see the energetic field, the biofield differently. Some of them see it this way, some of it see it that way. Some of them sense it, you know, kinesthetically, some of them even hear it. They have different approaches, they have different protocols, but they all say the same thing, which is, I am not the healer, I am a healing facilitator. And I'm helping this person reconnect with their spiritual core, however they describe that, right? And that's where the healing is happening. And, and this is what I think, you know, we we're coming to now in science and medicine, even in a more mainstream way, as we're looking at things like yoga, meditation, Tai Chi, Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, is that we're moving to this model of salutogenesis, the processes of health. Beyond this idea of pathogenesis, there is a disease. It has one pathway. I have to interfere in that pathway and take some medicine that is outside of myself in order to have an effect and get rid of the invader. You know, that's pathogenic thinking. And it served a great purpose. It still serves a great purpose in some contexts, but we sort of threw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We forgot that we're actually our own healers and the rest is just gravy, really. Right, right. There's a, <clears throat> a technique in Ayurveda called Marma therapy. And <clears throat> when I learned that back in the 80s in, in India, um, one of the techniques was you would, you know, put your hands like this and you would sort of feel this energy, right? And then when you would put that over a body and you have a, a body between you, the instruction was that you tell the patient to put their attention in the area between my two hands, right? And the instruction for the therapist was to put your attention on your hands. Because when you do this, what do you feel or where do you feel it? You feel it on your hands. So you're actually interacting with yourself, right? So it's a self-interacting healing therapy where you put your hands over a body and you interact with yourself because your, your attention is still on your hands. Their attention is in the area between the hands, which is themselves. So we're both interacting with themselves, but we're interacting at a place that's been heightened with uh, awareness by the intention, you know? So we create this intention of a space that's going to be heightened with self-awareness. And when the body becomes aware of itself, the body naturally heals itself and the healing is spontaneous. When you cut your finger, you don't think scab, 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 you automatically get a scab. It's an involuntary process. So I think what you're saying is that there's a, that it's really involuntary. And how do we harness that involuntary? 
And it seems like um, I wonder about the expectation part because that sort of like, you know, I wonder if it's, if, the, if it's because we're getting the mind out of the equation and we're not actually thinking heal, 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 or actually you go into a surgery and they give you a surgery and you think it's gonna be healed. Even though they didn't even do a surgery on your knee, you still get healed, right? So you're like, but you had the expectation, but you didn't think about it. You just surrendered to the fact that it was going to be healing. And I think that's the part that drops the mind and the control to the involuntary and allows the involuntary piece to happen. And I wonder the last, and my question is um, the mechanism for this. Have you looked into a mechanism to understand how this energy healing actually is, you know, um, interacting between both parties? Yeah, beautiful question. I have a whole chapter in my book that's literally called What's the Mechanism? Because this is nice. the thorn in the side for most of our researchers in the Western world, right? It's the reason why, sadly, even though we do have evidence that these therapies work, it's hard to get them integrated in clinics and it's hard to get funding from the National Institutes of Health and other organizations that should be funding this work because right. they want to know what's the mechanism. So that's a really interesting term. I actually don't like the term mechanism because it implies that there's a singular mechanism. And we know that's, first of all, not the way the body works, okay? A cytokine, for example, an immune transmitter can be inflammatory or anti-inflammatory depending on the cell environment. And we know that cytokines are pleiotropic. They do many different things in the body. There's not which, just one pathway. You know, we could go on and on about that. Drugs don't just have one effect. Even so, it's a huge question. How could this energy possibly get under the skin and facilitate healing? So before we go there, I, I think it might be important for your listeners if they don't know about some of the evidence to just highlight some of the key studies going on so that we can, first of all, yeah. understand that these therapies, and here we're talking primarily about the subtle energy biofield therapies like laying on of hands, healing touch, Reiki, and these types of approaches where most of the research currently has been done. We've done clinical studies, including randomized placebo-controlled trials that looked very deeply at placebo. My particular study that did this looked with breast cancer survivors, and it's published in Cancer, which is a widely read journal among our oncologists. And I think the reason we were able to publish it there was because we had such a rigorously controlled placebo design where we looked at placebo factors, not just a placebo group that got, quote, sham healing, but I was very, you know, gung-ho about this. So I measured things like relationship and connection and belief in treatment and put all those in as explanatory variables. In the end, what we found was that the hands-on healing improved fatigue so that these women who had debilitating amounts of fatigue post-treatment, which as you know, fatigue is the number one complaint with cancer patients and survivors, they dropped down to levels of what you would expect for someone walking down the street in just four short weeks of receiving eight sessions. But what was very provocative was that their cortisol variability or the rhythms of their cortisol only for the healing group, not for the mock group or the weightless control shifted toward a rhythm of regularity. That is a more regular diurnal rhythm of cortisol throughout the day only for those women who received the healing. And I put in every variable because it's, you know, as a scientist, it's kind of like, really? Does that, is that really true? I put in, you know, body mass index, chemotherapy status, placebo variables, everything. Nothing could explain away the effect. My colleague, Susan Lukendorf, also did a randomized controlled trial with cancer patients. These were women that were receiving chemo radiation for ovarian and cervical cancer. And she compared usual care with relaxation for one group that received relaxation and one that received healing touch. And in a nutshell, she also found that the women who were receiving healing touch showed a significant and clinically significant decrease in depression, but also a maintenance in natural cell, killer cell cytotoxicity. That is a maintenance of this particular marker of immunity during the chemo radiation process. So this is being offered not as an either or, but as a both and. And importantly, when women go through chemo radiation, often, you know, their immunity can become compromised because we're bombing the system, right? And in a sense, that's what we have to do, or that's what's done in these therapies. So this is curious, how is energy getting under the skin? So people may say, 
Well, there's still people, people are complicated. How can you really rule out the placebo effect? Well, there are studies now that have been done in several different labs looking at cells and animals. And we don't have time to get into all of them now. I do detail some of the highlights in my book because these are all peer reviewed published studies in great journals with seasoned investigators, tenured professors at major universities. Some of the most exciting recent research that's coming out now is coming out from MD Anderson Cancer Center with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Lorenza Cohen, who is the chief um, there for integrative research at MD Anderson. They have already published two studies looking at the effects of emitted bioenergy from a well-known healer in mouse models of cancer. So there's no people here. This is a well-controlled study, the same kind of study you do if you were looking at a drug. In short, they have found in each of these studies, the first one, a reduction in tumor size, consistent with reductions in inflammatory cytokines and shifts in cell subsets, as well as protein kinase signaling in these mice, all consistent with the reduction of tumors. In the second study, they didn't see the reduction of tumor size, they saw a reduction of tumor metastasis. Same cytokines that were affected, inflammatory cytokines that were reduced, same subset, cell subsets associated with tumor migration that were altered, and same protein kinase signaling pathways that are being affected, not by a drug, not by meditation, not by an herb, but by energy. So when we take all laying, of that, Laying on the hands on the mouse, not holding touching. or just not, not touching them. Not touching. And in fact, you know, we have at, at my nonprofit, the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, we offer free webinars to the public every month. And we did a wonderful webinar with Lorenzo where he shared his data, you know, all of his slides and everything and explained the results. And, you know, I want to invite people that are interested to definitely join us for those free webinars. We can talk about that later because they're a tremendous resource. Lorenzo talked about another curious finding which was when the healer, whose name is Sean Harabans, he's widely studied for his abilities. Whenever Sean would walk by the cage, these mice would crowd around in the front like they were expecting something good. And Lorenzo, as a scientist, was very curious about this. So why are they doing that? What happens if I take someone of similar stature, size, you know, body mass index and put them and have them walk in front of the cage? The mice would not crowd for any other person. They would only right. crowd for Sean because they recognized something in him, right? They could, they could recognize the signature, if you will. There was something that was happening there, which speaks to a whole, you know, a whole discussion we could have about consciousness and, um, and animals in particular. So, I, you know, I describe a lot of this in the book. But to your question, John, if we look at all this data and we say, these energy healing approaches are having effects on people. They, it seems to have its energy and information. I didn't go over it, but there's other cellular research to suggest that the energy has intelligence. There's information that's being transferred because somehow cells proliferate if they're healthy and they don't proliferate if they're cancerous. How does that happen? How is energy reaching out into this, you know, into this mouse that's not being touched? And having these profound effects, it's mind. Have, have you looked in? Have you looked into biophotons as a possible mechanism for that? Yeah. So there are people looking into that. We have a lot of work to do in this area. So there's at least three possible mechanisms, so to speak, of how this could be working. And I talk about each of these in the book. And what I suggest is, you know, why do we have to limit ourselves to just one? First, let's say placebo. Placebo is a mechanism. Okay. So we've went over placebo. We've talked about that. It is absolutely appropriate to think that all of those natural healing elements that we discussed are absolutely driving an effect. And yet when we look at these cell and animal models, it doesn't seem to, you know, the placebo effect and even these randomized placebo controlled trials suggest that there's something more going on than what we're talking about. Obviously. Right. Yeah. So then people say, well, maybe it's electromagnetic fields and EMF effects. OK, EMF effects, electromagnetic fields, which can include biophotons. It can include other things. And that could be it to some degree, because we have studies where healers have been measured. There are cases where particular healers or contemplative spiritual practitioners have been shown, for example, to emit higher levels of biophotons during a practice. But it's not consistent. Moreover, it doesn't explain distant healing. 
okay? Because energy is known to drop off at a distance. If this was just electromagnetic fields in the way that we know them to be, then we could block the effect with potentially Faraday cages or block the effect with other ways because we should be able to block the EMF, right? And prevent the effect. So far, we haven't but, been able to do that. But bio, you know, Einstein called it spooky action at a distance where, where these biophotons would travel at great distance and actually change with intention instantaneously. So the biophotons, the ultra weak photon emissions that we release out of our body, can either be coherent or incoherent. And when you meditate, do yoga, breathing, meditation, you create coherent biophotons. And they are traveling at the speed of light at great distances. There's no limit to what they could do and how fast they go. EMFs are different. They're functioning at a much more gross level than photons, because photons are at that junction point between field and physiology or consciousness and, consciousness and matter. And in Ayurveda, this is just, I'm curious what you think about this, in Ayurveda, it said that the cause of all disease called pragya parad is when the, when the mind or the physiology forgets that it's actually sourced in a field of consciousness. And if you wanted to heal the body, you'd want to put the attention at where the consciousness and the physiology meet. Because if you can put your attention there, you can bridge the gap between and restore the memory, the smirti between consciousness and matter. So how do you get the body to become aware of that subtle space between field and physiology? Well, photons are, by definition, either particles of light or waves of light, frequencies of light. So they literally exist at that level. And biophotons, these, these ultra-weak biophoton emissions we're talking about, they're actually released about 1,000 or so per second out of your DNA. And they can be, 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 be released incoherently because of DNA damage, or they can be released coherently because of you know, some type of mind body connection yoga breathing meditation and what they found recently is that those biophotons are in fact affected by intention so they're they're information particles within our body they're carried they're traveled at the speed of light at great distances so they do explain distance healing and in india you go to every time you go around the corner in delhi or whatever there's a new guy who you got to go see because all you got to do is show him the picture of your aunt you know whoever and he's going to heal through that picture and it's just sort of like Part of the culture obviously you know that and and i was like you know always curious about it but now to actually see that there's actually an underlying possible mechanism for that i think really does give a lot of validity to it because these photons do travel at great distances they can change instantaneously through intention at great distances is something that einstein talked about such a long time ago and i think that so when you actually pray you know, there's science that shows that when people pray, it works, and science shows that people when pray, it doesn't work, right? So it's sort of like, when it works, it's amazing. When it doesn't work, it's sort of not so amazing. So they found that when you, get, when you actually are admitting a biophoton from a coherent place, you're actually doing it from a place of what Ayurveda says is that, um, you know, we don't be attached to the fruits of our actions, right? that if we're praying with this intention or this desire or this need to get a return on that investment, then we're thinking this process, not feeling the process. But if you go into a meditative prayer state, which people do when they actually do pray, and then they have this very gentle intention from their heart, that will release biophotons, which are actually affected by intention and can travel at speed of light at great distances and actually be the mechanism for behind what you're actually talking about, which would explain why it could work with actually not actually touching the person. We're healing with the hands, that's energy, you know, prana, and that makes a lot more sense. But, but without that, I think it's, um, it's, it's something that I've written a lot about is the biophotons and the mechanisms because it's the only thing that, that relates to the Ayurvedic concept, the Vedic concept, that the healing takes place at the junction between consciousness and matter, and you have to get there. And there, Ayurveda has so many techniques to get there. And that I'm curious what you think about that kind of theory of how the healing actually truly works. Yeah, I've, I love it. I mean, such a beautiful way that you've explained, first of all, this is very plausible. We don't have the data yet. That's the short answer. But I think very plausible and compelling explanation that you're giving here, first of all, you know, to sort of put a cap on what's the third potential mechanism here, it's non-local effects. And you've just brilliantly explained that 
biophotons can still be considered part of the EMFs for sure, but it's beyond that because it in itself can be non-local. And the, you know, the smidgen, <laughs> I will call it a smidgen, the smidgen of evidence that we have right now suggests that that could be potentially true because of the studies that have been done, even with channeling, for example, you know, there and some of this is anecdotal and not very well published research, but there have been, you know, instances in that people have studied this in terms of mediumship and things like that, where people are connecting with spirit and then they will see enhanced bio, biophoton emission in a closed, you know, copper room. So we do have a sense, as you said, that biophoton emission can happen in a non-local process. What I love is how you explain from the Ayurvedic perspective that healing happens at that intersection between consciousness and matter. And this is, this is so speaking my language, and this is where I think the biofield is such an important part of understanding the healing process. I, in fact, describe it as that bridge between consciousness and physicality, right? It is a two-way street. It's a superhighway that helps us connect with spirit and bring spiritual energy, if we'd like to say it that way, or information all the way down into the physical, all the way into ourselves. And so it's both informed by our conscious state and it informs our conscious state. Truly, truly. I mean, that's, that's the whole idea that, that um, you know, that, you know, I wrote an article a while back talking about God is back and, <clears throat> and how, uh, uh, science has spent the last couple of decades trying to convince us that there is no God and it's all science and it's all, you know, it, there's, there's, there's no mystical part of why we're here. And, um, and people are leaving religions in droves. And I go, wait, wait, you really should come back because, because the science actually shows that, that you know, you know Einstein, um, Max Planck, they ought to back, talked about an informed field, that this formed field was intelligent. And they even did the math and they found that if you were to, if you were to, um, you know, run a, a, have a hurricane, travel through a junkyard, if everything was uh, completely um, random, it would be so random that that hurricane would actually assemble a fully working airplane you can get in and fly. That's how unlikely it is for this whole universe to be random. It's actually quite informed and quite intelligent. And I wonder, and my question to you is from that perspective, because Ayurveda is sort of like this thing that says, this human body is an instrument. And if you tune it and refine it, it has the ability to perceive the most subtle. This human instrument can perceive the subtle more than any other instrument to say. Your, your whole experience of biofields is that we haven't been able to measure these things, but humans are able to experience it and use it and facilitate it as a healing mechanism. So, so do you think that these that if we refine and retune this human instrument instrument of ours to perceive subtle energy in such a way that we could actually begin to experience the part of us that is actually immortal and i don't mean like our body's gonna live forever but our soul is you know theoretically continues on forever and that is the you know being a sort of a realized passenger on this journey of the soul do you feel like that's something that um is I mean we're getting out in the fringe here a little bit, but I feel like I wonder if that's something that you feel that there's some emerging research that might support that because I really think that's what Ayurveda when they talk about immortality, which they do a lot, I think they're talking about the fact that there's a part of us that will never die, and that's the real part of us. This part here is not the really really real part. It's real now, but not going to be real later. But how do we how do we enjoy the 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 journey of the real part of us while we're here? It's my question. A, thank you so much. I'm so resonating with what you're saying. You know, toward the end of my book, I, I mentioned that, you know, to me, what I've come to realize is that the path of healing and the path of liberation are one in the same, right? Healing is a return to wholeness. What is that? It's back to the recognition of our soul nature, whatever we call that, that immortality, right? So we have different yeah. words to describe what that is. And there is something in the touching of that obviously that not only brings us great peace and great power but you know literally makes us 
purely human. That's, you know, that's really honestly the essence of our humanity. And then as you know, as we move around the world with the conditioned mind and conditioned environments, we are just, you know, in some ways living, walking shadows of ourselves, of our true selves. And so these practices, all of these practices bring us back to our soul nature. And that's always been the point. You know, I joke in my book because I cover the science behind you know, mind body meditation, Tai Chi yoga, and that in science, we've been looking at these for symptom reduction instead of self realization, but these have always been for self realization. And, and yeah. with respect to the energy aspect of it, I think it's really just been the missing link because it's considered fringe by a system that is informed by reductionism, materialism, sort of, if I might say it, even ethnocentrism in a way, right? In the way that we, that we just sort of viewed the body, the environment, our relationship and all that, that is now changing. And as you said, the payoff for us is as we develop more and more subtle awareness, you know, we connect with the biofield, which we can do through meditation, through yoga, through all these practices. We don't have to just go out and become an energy healer. It's literally just coming into the moment and paying attention to the subtle sensations that are with us at, at every time, right? We begin to yeah. understand our fundamental inner connection. So we, we come back to our soul nature and then we recognize that the soul nature is actually one of, you know, of complete and total inner connection with our environment. So for me, that's incredibly empowering because what it means is that I'm no longer separate from the earth. Everything I do matters my environment and my harmony with the earth around me matters it nurtures me it sustains me my relationships with others the same it becomes a very felt experience and when that happens as you know and as we tap into that soul nature there's this exquisite joy you know this bliss that we can carry around and it's not about bypassing right it's not about you know, I was just chatting with a colleague that's using really powerful energy psychology practices to treat trauma in refugee victims in you know, victims of natural disasters and genocide. So, you know, but why is that working? It's helping them again, reconnect with their interior, their true immortal nature so that they can release the trauma conditioning that has been lodged in their field. So the yeah. payoff is great. I think, it's like, I think you're, you're, you, probably bump into what I bump into a lot is that, you know, we're trying to heal the body from being sick and being injured and being broken. Yet at the same time, you know, in Ayurveda, the four goals of life that were called the Purush Arthas, which really mean Purush means so Artha means for the purpose of the whole point of life is for the purpose of the soul. So, we, you know, we constantly, you know, juggling back and forth and going, okay, yeah, we can fix your heartburn, but, but, um, but, you know, that's great, but we really want to continue this journey because that's a piece of the puzzle. But the bigger piece is to begin to raise that vibration with things like being aware of um, our connection to nature. You know, birds are flying south and whales are migrating. And what do we do? We have no connection to that, yet that those rhythms are inside of us, but we don't listen to them or perceive them because we're so distracted. And I think that's the, 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 uh, the beauty of all these healings, and I'm sure the healers you work with they must come in with a level of silence and, and connectedness that allows them to tap into that energy because that energy is coming from right from the field, which is silent. True. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and I describe this for those who aren't familiar with the process of a healing practitioner. When they say they're not doing the healing, it's because they're yeah. really allowing themselves come into a grounded and neutral state. So they are nourished by the energy that is coming through them, which they will call universal consciousness, you know, God, um, the divine, you know, many ways that they describe it, but they're coming into a state of openness and receptivity and a surrender, as we talked about earlier, right? And, and in that is a, is a beautiful and profound silence. One of, my, one of my first mentors told me, he said, don't you ever take responsibility for the healing. Don't ever take credit for it. Because if you take credit for the healing, you've got to take credit for the non-healing. And the reality is, you're not the healer. We're like you said, you know, we're the facilitators. And in Ayurveda, there's another saying that says that the that the um, the healing is better for the doctor than it is for the patient. So by practicing from a place of inspiring them to become more self-aware allows what one, one of my my Ayurvedic teachers said allows us to connect soul to soul. 
obviously things like taking the pulse and connecting at that really, really deep level allows us to meet at the level where we actually are the same, where we actually are one. And when we can connect that level and expand the awareness from that level, well, that's, that's the healing at the junction between consciousness and matter. It's like the lamp at the door shining brightly into the field and into the physiology at the same time. And the memory or the loss of memory of truth or consciousness, you know, sort of melts away. I think that's a, I think that, you know, the work on biofields and biophotons is the future, you know, I think that in really understanding what we're really trying to heal, as opposed to hitting, feeling the parts, what about just going to the source and healing the whole? Yeah, so beautifully put, you know, healing really begins there and all of these beautiful practices, you know, all of the beautiful support that we have, so many ways that have been informed by so many cultures who had that deep understanding and connection always with nature, with the soul as the healer, right? It's it's so beautiful because it's it's a lovely playground for us. You know, we get to explore and choose and, and ultimately all roads lead us back to ourselves. I think that's what's so so gorgeous about it. And it's a it's coming at a time that's really needed because there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of disempowerment. And we need all of our resources, right? We need again to come back to our whole person. And what's beautiful is when yeah. we connect like this on the soul level, we start seeing these ripples of effects in all areas of our lives. And we recognize like we're doing it. We're the change agents. And and that's a beautiful thing in this day and age to recognize. We're the creators. I wonder, yeah, so true. And, and this time is so critical. And I wonder if, you know, there were some tools or tips or practices that you could share with us that would help people get started, you know, connecting at that deeper level. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, my book, um, which is called Healing Ourselves, and the subtitle is Biofield Science and the Future of Health, because I do talk about this whole concept of the biofield and how it's coming, um, you know, it's, it's teaching us so much about healing. The third part of the book is called The Healing Keys, which I teach out of often, and I teach at retreat centers. I just came back from Shivananda Ashram in the Bahamas teaching there. It was such a beautiful place to teach. What a wonderful, coherent vibration. I'll be teaching at Esalen soon um, here in mid-March as well, The Healing Keys. And, and How other- was it there? I mean, I, I, I've been teaching there for decades, and I wonder how they're doing it. Was there a lot of people there? Is it, is it actually great. happening? Yeah, you know, they're slowly integrating back. They're definitely social distancing. They're taking the whole thing very seriously, you know, masks are everywhere testing is everywhere in the bahamas generally testing is everywhere you know so they're very strict about how they're approaching it but everyone is healthy they're doing well they're thriving i think i was one of the first teachers to come back um you know and um oh just lovely you know i love them all there's such a such a joy to teach at a place like that you know with with yogis that are so on the path um But yeah, so the healing keys is actually very simple. You don't have to be a yogi or have any prior experience even with energy healing. What I've done is distilled the best of what we know from clinical psychology, behavioral medicine, spiritual practice, and energy healing. And they're very fundamental principles. So I'll just review them now. And, you know, the book gives a lot of practices. There's also an audio book with Sounds True, which people can get if they like to hear the meditations. And I offer a lot of free meditations too in different places. The first is literally grounding. Now we didn't talk a lot about the research behind grounding, but suffice it to say that we know, as we've talked about, we're bioenergetic beings. And when we come into our bodies and we ground with the earth, that sets the tone and the energy for powerful healing. So the first step is literally grounding. The second is to flow with our emotions. I can't tell you how important this is. You know, we often overlook the importance of emotions in our health, its connections with the lymph and the immune system, um, and how important it is for us to be able to digest and process our emotions skillfully and be with them and learn from them. So there are practices that we can do involving the breath, sound making, and others to really help us flow with emotions. I also talk about igniting our creativity. It's very underlooked in my view, John. Creativity is a way for us to dive into the wellspring of our life source. And it's not only blissful and wonderful, but it literally helps us tap into new movement, new energy that we may have not ever experienced before, which really gives us the reserves for our healing. We talk about setting powerful intentions and how we unify 
the mental and the vital forces for powerful healing. You know, we talked about why sometimes people might not be able to wish themselves well. Well, the ancients understood this well. We have to unify the vital force and the mental force, right? If we wanna call it that, for powerful healing intention. We open to connection and there's some powerful practice, practices we can do with the heart to open to connection to make sure that we're receiving powerful guidance from ourselves and also from spirit and the people around us to guide us in our healing journey. And as I mentioned, the last step, the, the last key is really surrender, which is also the first step. And as we work through these particular healing keys, we recognize that we're just sort of in this constant flow with these healing keys, kind of carrying them through our life. And it just takes not even a little, just very little effort to begin to integrate these keys into our life. I'll tell you, I have had friends and colleagues and students write me after getting the book and sort of following the healing keys and say, okay, I've really taken seriously what you said about the 20 minutes a day, creating my own ritual. I followed your advice and I've got to tell you, it's making a huge difference for me because we're giving ourselves permission to, to provide all of the beautiful context that we need ultimately to reconnect with our deeper spirit. And that's truly what it is. So there are guidelines that we can all practice and, and use. And the Healing Keys is a very joyful way for me um, to do it. So that's why I like to teach it as well. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And um, the book is Healing Ourselves, right? And by Shamini Jane, and it sounds true. So I would definitely recommend picking up a copy of that. And please, um, Dr. Jane, please tell us how people could you know, find out more about what you're doing, your website, all that stuff. You bet. Well, we didn't talk too much about our nonprofit, the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. It's a wonderful collaborative of scientists and healing practitioners, educators, and artists who all come together to share their wisdom on healing. So we do science, we do um, uh, education as well. We have an upcoming summit actually with the Shift Network Science of Healing Summit that's going to be airing at the end of uh, February, beginning of March. Beautiful, you know, group of, of folks sharing wisdom on whole person healing. It's totally free. So we invite people to come to that. Um, you can just Google Science of Healing Summit and you'll probably find it. Um, also connect with us at um, our healing webinars, the easiest way to do that is just to go to webinarsonhealing.com. Webinarsonhealing.com will take you to our free webinars page where you can register and watch, um, you know, in real time, ask questions. And the easiest way to find me, I'm on social, so you can just look for Dr. Shamini Jan on, you know, Facebook and um, Instagram and LinkedIn and that sort of thing. You can also go to healingourselvesbook.com healingourselvesbook.com will take you to the book page, but also my website. And if you choose to buy the book, we have a lot of really wonderful bonuses there, including interviews with Deepak Chopra and Greg Braden and others and meditations and a whole uh, chapter actually, which I think John, you would appreciate an ebook on biofield devices too. Kind of what's the state of the science behind biofield devices? Mm -hmm. What do we know? What do we don't know? How do you decide whether you're gonna get one? That kind of thing. So those are all free yeah. you know, bonus resources for people when they pick up the book. And we have so many goodies you know, at, at the Consciousness and Healing Initiative too. I really encourage people to connect in and, and join the community there. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for coming. This is great. I think, you know, as your research develops, I'd love to have you back and keep building on this because there's so much more to talk about here. We just kind of scratched the surface today. And uh, like I said, this field is really, I think the future is what Ayurveda was, was designed to, you know, to understand, to practice, because it is, you know, allowing us to begin to understand and feel and experience the most subtle. And I think that's what we're really here to be able to do. And Ayurveda was all about that. And that's still not really a thing in science and you're bringing that out. And I really wanna thank you for, for all the work you're doing because it's really, really important. So uh, I'm, I'll keep an eye on you and I'll watch you. I'll get your book and, and, um, and uh, you know, we'll send a lot of people your way, hopefully. Well, thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. I'm so excited to meet you and, and to have this conversation. It's been a delight. Thank you so much. Yeah, same here. All right, you take care. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. This recording is brought to you by LifeSpa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at LifeSpa.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.